0: Welcome to What's Next, Cornet Global's podcast that puts members on the mic for thought-provoking, profession-shaping conversations and commentary.
1: Hi, this is Tim Venable of Cornet Global. Joining me for this edition of What's Next is Ben Weber, co-founder and president of Humanize, a pioneer and leader in the field of workplace analytics. Thanks very much for being here, Ben. And if you would, please introduce yourself a bit further and give us some of your
0: background. Sure. So, thanks for having me, Uh, Ben Weber. I'm uh, one of the co-founders, and I'm the president of Humanize. And that's a workplace analytics company. It spun off of the PhD research that my co-founders and I were doing at MIT, really around trying to use data about how people collaborate at work. I think email, chat, mini data, actually also sensor data about the real world. And then from that understanding to try to figure out, really how healthy is an organization in a pretty broad sense, looking at things like could you predict from those work patterns, attrition, uh, productivity, uh, really high-level things at a team at a higher level. Okay, great.
1: Now, Ben, I understand that Humanize recently announced a new offering that helps companies better understand their workplace data, specifically around HR practices, managerial decisions, and digital transformation initiatives During COVID nineteen, also that your customers are already using this, so that's pretty cool. As I understand it, the solution is powered by artificial intelligence. As we get started, give us a brief high-level description of how this works.
0: Yeah, it it always sounds good when there's when there's AI in there, of course. And and to be fair, again, you know, use a lot of machine learning techniques going back to my PhD, so there is a lot of that baked in. But you know, really, the approach is is grounded in in this idea that from all of this data about how people collaborate the companies already have. Um, again, I just I mentioned some of those earlier, but when you pull that together from across an organization, it really does provide this macro view of what's going on internally, of how people are collaborating. And what was really exciting is, it was actually, <laughs> as I, now that I think about it, it was over a year and a half ago, but time is, is so, it's so relative at this point, it feels like not that long ago. Um, but we actually realized that we, we really had enough data from, uh, you know, enough companies, and enough people where you could actually see that we had, when it comes to at least information workers, we have a globally representative data set on how people collaborate and even how that changes over time. And what that meant is we're finally able to provide an organizational health score to really show, you know, where does a company, not just a whole company, but where do even teams stack up against, you know, really how work is, is likely to happen globally. And then, especially for calling out concerning outliers where, you know, certain teams, like if they're never meeting with a manager or, you know, are incredibly overworked, to be able to essentially automatically call those out. Um, and then, again, with, you know, our AI techniques is able to even dynamically call that out over time. Um, you know, really what we've done to put this together and to make it easy for people to use, you know, today is by trying to group these, these indicators, these Actual low-level, you know, actionable behavioral metrics into categories specifically engagement, productivity, adaptability, and that, you know, the idea here is that as companies are making lots of changes, especially you know during the, during the pandemic, everyone's you know making an awful lot of changes all the time, and what that what this enables us to do is see, in that moment, literally this week. You know, how are things changing? What are the things that are concerning? And that as we make changes, as we based on those things, we could plan interventions, you know, obviously lots of leaders today trying to mitigate long-term effects of things like remote work or changing team structure, but then to be able to demonstrate, are those having the impacts that we want? And if they're not, then, you know, what are the specific behaviors that that are being most affected?
1: Okay. A solution like that, of course, can help corporate real estate executives answer some key questions about their company's workplace strategy, their return to work plans, as you've alluded to. And that's that's really what we're here to talk about today. I'd like to learn more about what you're hearing, uh, Ben, from your corporate clients. So here's my first question. What are the long term effects of the transition to remote work? Any thoughts on that?
0: Yeah, certainly some thoughts on it. I mean, At a high level, there are things that we've seen across our data set that you started to see in March that a lot of things were expected, but I will say there were things that we we didn't expect. You know, pre-pandemic, there's obviously been decades of research on the impact of remote work in terms of how people collaborate and things like that. And I'd say in large part, we saw those things come to pass. Of, Of course, I will preface this by saying the current as a natural experiment in remote work is very different than in the past. You know, today, you've got literally everybody just suddenly thrown into this um, together. And so, in the past, you might have been competing with the office when you're at home, and, and now you don't, there's no competition. Everyone's at home. But what you would have expected to see pri- prior to the pandemic, if you just asked me what will remote work likely do, is you would see a degradation of weak ties of so people making having fewer uh, conversations, less communication with people that they rarely communicate with. I would have also thought just in general, there'd be less communication overall. What we have seen is those weak ties are extremely degraded. Right? if you look at pre-pandemic, people talking to would communicate on average with it was a little bit over 26 people, or would have 26 week ties, let's say on a given week. What that means is these are people you communicate with 15 minutes or less on an average week over the period of months, right? They're people that you you know, might know peripherally, you might bump into them by a coffee machine. They're not someone who's on your team, right? Maybe you're in one meeting, let's say one four-person meeting with them for one hour a month. That's, that's down by over 50%. But on the flip side, and something I wouldn't have expected, is when you look at these strong ties, these people that you spend an hour or more with in the equivalent of one-on-one communication, that went from, you went from having roughly four of those ties pre-pandemic, to now having having over ten, which is which is not surprising, right? We're proactively scheduling more meetings, um, so that we make sure we get the information we need, right? But the cost of that is that for law in the long term, for innovation, for really um, ensuring alignment across large organizations, it's really those weak ties that drive that, and it, uh, we've yet to see a company that's been able to maintain week ties at pre-pandemic levels for more than a month. We have seen some companies run initiatives, you know, whether it's with virtual coffee hours, other things that can temporarily bump that up, but it seems to always go back down. Um, And so it does really show just the challenge of when you have a remote workforce, you can't just run an initiative and and forget about it. You do really constantly need to make changes. And that's certainly something that, you know, we see our customers constantly grappling with all over the world okay interesting
1: now here's another question what should a company's plan to return to the office or perhaps not return to the office look like
0: and this is the challenging thing i think obviously i I tend to look at this through an analytics lens there's obviously a first question of the the public health conditions and that that's sort of a you know step zero assuming that health conditions are at a point where people people can come in then how does that how does that work And it's interesting, one of our customers that is headquartered in Asia, it's a global Fortune 500 company. Um, They're quite large. In some parts of the world, um, especially places in Asia, they've been able to start to bring people back on a limited basis. And essentially what they were able to do is, you know, there's the first question of, well, given that, especially at first, I can't bring everybody back um, at the same time, you know, which team should come back first? And what they were able to do is actually see well which teams have been most negatively impacted by the move to remote work in terms of changes to their collaboration patterns, in terms of changes to their organizational health metrics. And it was interesting because this organization, it's a large technology company, and they know from even pre-pandemic that the more their enterprise salespeople who, again, sell billions of dollars worth of technology years, the more they communicate with engineers, the more they sell and it's an incredibly strong relationship but they can also see that actually as they've had to shift to working from home 100 percent of the time that that communication has dropped precipitously which meant they're a pretty great group the salespeople in particular to bring back into the office now interestingly the engineers in particular their communication patterns did not change that much but if you just brought in the sales people and not some engineers it would actually not have a very strong effect on how those salespeople on really how the salespeople work with their effectiveness. And so what they did is actually identify test groups of salespeople and engineers and had them come in just one day a week to the office on the same day. That was it. And they also had other groups that they didn't make any changes to. And in a period of two weeks, they were able to see that those groups, those salespeople in particular, communicated significantly more, more than 20%, you know, previous level, 20% higher than previous levels. Every other day of the week, not just when they were in the office, but every day of the week, when, you know, once they were able to come in. And so this idea that I bump into you and I realize, oh yeah, I haven't talked with you in a while, that that is something that's valuable. And, And so when you think about this plan, it's something that certainly you can use, you know, data or analytics like ours to figure out which groups are most affected. But I think what's also important is you have to extend beyond that and say, as we prioritize those groups, are there other teams and sort of dependencies that they have where we have to consider them together? And that in a similar way, you can also identify groups that haven't been very affected. And so, if you want to figure out, you know, longer term which groups can be more flexible, which can't, then this is, you know, in a lot of ways been a good experiment to be able to identify that before you make long-term changes.
1: Okay. Fascinating findings there for sure. Now, what about changing team structures such as you might have with layoffs or maybe changes to job descriptions during COVID-19? Have those things impacted companies' productivity? What are you seeing? What are you hearing there?
0: Yeah. And, and I mean, certainly it's something where, I mean, obviously we, we know that when, you know, you have to do things like like layoffs or, or make other changes, it, it's going to have some impact. And, obviously, we really look at this through the lens of organizational health and and really collaboration patterns within a company. You know, so, for example, if someone leaves a company that was really one of the, the primary conduits, really like a link between two teams that otherwise don't directly communicate, then that dramatically changes the way that information flows within an organization. You know, similarly, if you do a reorg reorg, and suddenly a manager has a lot more direct reports, that can dramatically affect, you know, manager visibility. It's one of the metrics that we measure, which is very strongly related to things like attrition. And so what we've seen is a lot of times there's a a reorganization or a shift of collaboration patterns to support short-term productivity, doing the work you know you need to do this week or this month. I think some of the concerning things we see are much more about medium to long-term productivity, where, and again, I sort of mentioned this earlier, you have this concentration of collaboration around strong ties, people that you already know that you work with closely. And so what that means is that for the task you have right now, you can probably do that pretty effectively. The issue is that at this point, it's unclear if you're working on the right task, because what we really need to determine what our long-term plans are, our long-term strategy, or if we're building some incre- incredibly complex product, it's, it's about tacit knowledge uh, transfer, it's about innovation and thinking differently around uh, how work happens. And I think that's what you're seeing in um, a lot of fields, um, like if you look at software development, if you look at game development even, right, you actually see significant misses of milestones when you look at actually hard outcomes, which is things that we've predicted for, for a while based on the data we're seeing. And that's not because people can't technologically do their individual work. It's that this this shift to remote work as a primary primary mechanism of collaboration really hasn't supported the medium to long-term collaboration patterns that we really do associate with productivity.
1: Okay, great. Now, you've touched on this topic a bit already, Ben, but have you gained any insights on which teams or which kinds of teams need to come back into the office to be more productive?
0: Yeah, and to your point, it, it gets back to some of some of what I touched on earlier. That for teams that have had really large drops in these in these weaker ties and sort of that are that are more siloed than than before, those are teams that you're going to want to uh, sort of bring back sooner. You know, in a similar way though. If you have teams that even pre-pandemic had a large percentage of their time taken up by formal meetings or formal communication, and especially to the extent that that hasn't changed, then those are teams where it's gonna be easier to say, hey, we can move to a hybrid or remote model. But then importantly, I would highly advocate folks to not just look at a single team in isolation and say, well, they haven't changed or they have changed a lot, so we should do X. It's really, okay, let's look holistically at, how that would likely affect the organization. Because I might have this team that is working quite similarly from their perspective compared to previously. It might be that actually they only communicate outside their team 5% of the time. So if you just look at that team, they maybe have not had much of an impact uh, for work from home. However, if there's another team that really depends on that that communication and that you see that they're behavior has been significantly impacted by not having access to other team, then you're going to want to bring those groups in together, even though for one team, it might not make as much sense. And so it is challenging. It's something where you do have to look at these, these metrics you know, for each team, and then after that do sort of another cut, but that, that's a really helpful way to think about it. It, it is certainly a iterative process, and that I think at the very least, if we could think of a, you know, if we could think of a positive Right of, of the pandemic it's that people have been a lot faster to make decisions and a lot more flexible. If They start to see data that says that, hey, this isn't working. We thought bring this team back in the office of work. It's not really changing how they collaborate. Let's try someone else. Like, I think hopefully that is a, a longer term trend because that's something where, if we're being honest, we always just have hypotheses about what we think a workplace decision uh, is going to do in terms of changing how we work and that this is essentially giving us permission to test those hypotheses as we make the changes. Okay.
1: Well, now, as we uh, begin to wrap up, here's my last question. Looking back over the course of the pandemic, these last 10 months or so, is it possible for corporate real estate leaders to identify decisions they made or new directions they took that have improved effectiveness and productivity?
0: I mean, I think it is. I mean, again, I'm I'll admit I'm somewhat biased on this in the sense that I always, I always, always advocate. And again, it's somewhat self-serving, but I also really do believe it, that you really should be using hard data and analytics to help, again, of course, in addition to subjective assessments, to really evaluate the effectiveness of the organization and also the results of those decisions, right? So if I pulled historic historical data on um, how people are collaborating, right, which again, every company has this, you could say, all right, well, I decided to implement Slack for this division. Okay, simple question. Did that actually change how people collaborate? And because today the vast majority of people, at least in information worker roles, are working remotely, it means that you are capturing a huge percentage of the workday in those tools. And so that means you can see, okay, pre-post, did that have an impact? And you can do that for all those decisions. And, of course, what is interesting is that moving forward, there's no reason that that should stop it. when, you know, we we do eventually get through the pandemic. It's something that, it, again, we, we really always have that need. And I think that, but because it is this interesting time, people have made so many changes. And so, I think there is that opportunity, both in terms of historical data, as well as moving forward with the decisions we make, you know, from here on to really see what is that quantitative impact and what, how can we do better next time. Okay.
1: Outstanding. Well, Ben, it's been great talking with you today, and I'd like to thank you again for sharing these uh, fascinating insights with Cornet Global. Appreciate it, Tim. This concludes this episode of What's Next. Want to record a podcast of your own? Have an
0: idea or point of view you'd like to share? Visit cornetglobal.org to learn more.